When it comes to comedy movies that parody the stories that we already know, few do it better than Mel Brooks. Throw in the comedic genius of Leslie Nielsen and you can already hear the laughs emitting from the movie theater. Or do you? It's time to find out as we attempt to prove that Dracula dead and loving it is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. Now, as a Canadian, there are a few actors that we hold up in absolutely high regard because they are absolute gems. You know, we are contractually obligated to say nice things about Ryan Reynolds, it's actually in the charter. Um, Leslie Nielsen is another one of those names absolute gem anytime he's on the screen you're usually going to have a good laugh or a good smile or will you we're about to find out and joining us for this episode just to see if the leslie nielsen charm can translate through to pretty much anything is peter from the movie duel podcast pete welcome back to the show how you doing man I'm not too bad, not too bad. I've uh, I had a bit of a an illness just after Christmas, um, so my voice is is on and off a little bit croaky, uh, and I've still got a bit of a lingering cough. But other than that, I'm very excited to be back and 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 talking Dracula Dead and loving it. See, I think really you just needed a little bit of time to recover from the grading on a curve movies of 2023 episode. It could have been it, yeah. It could have been some kind of that. It may be some kind of internet virus that I caught from <laughs> from wading around in the <laughs> that was uh, the grading on a curve episode. No <laughs> amount of Pepto Bismol could have you know protected you from that one. <laughs> But when it came time to pick a movie for you to come back on, you said Dracula Dead and Loving It. Hey, I was I was psyched because it had been a long time since I'd seen it. And I don't even think until researching that I'd watched the whole thing all the way through. But what is it about this film that made you want to pitch it? It was, well, first and foremost, it was the, it was the grading, obviously, um, of... of, of where it sits on Rotten Tomatoes because I just think it's it was a oh it's ridiculously low ridiculously low exactly um but you know it's a very I have very fond memories of this film I remember renting it from Blockbuster Video back in the Stone Age and uh I just you know it was right up my street you know it's it's spoof I love spoof films watched many of them with my dad growing up um and it's horror you know and I'm a big fan of Dracula at the time uh, we were doing uh, Dracula in my English lessons in in, in school, um, so it was something I was very familiar with. And I'm a big fan of monster movies, so it's it's everything I could want, really. Yeah, it's one of those things where there are certain characters that the minute you know the the character is brought back to the big screen in whatever kind of format, you kind of get geared up for it. And Dracula's kind of one of them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, it's Leslie Nielsen, it's Mel Brooks, it's. It's, uh, it should be a match made in heaven. <laughs> well, we're about to find it. But before we do, before we return to Transylvania to visit Dracula, it is time to take this film and trailerize it. The mere mention of his name strikes fear into the hearts of millions. Nosferatu, Vlad the Impaler, Count Dracula. And what better actor to bring the menace and presence of the Lord of the Undead than the guy who played Mr. Magoo? 
Leslie Nielsen dons the cape and bad accent in Dracula, dead and loving it. He's looking for a few good necks to suck in this script that sucks even harder. But standing in his way is Van Helsing. No, not the Hugh Jackman version. Not even the Christopher Plummer version. Hell, it isn't even the Wallace Shawn version. No, this Van Helsing is Mel Brooks. And not even the Schwartz can help him now. Strap in for a movie that will make you wonder if you can die by simply watching it. Dracula, dead and loving it. Rated PG-13 for Pantomime Gothic. <laughs> wow, was it really, was it rated PG-13 over there? It was only a PG here. It was, yeah, no, it's <laughs> apparently it's PG-13. And it's one of those things where I always find it fascinating as to what a film is, is rated here versus what it is, it's rated over the pond. So, you know, mm. so for North American audiences, it's PG-13. <laughs> but let's get into who is in this film. The movie stars Leslie Nielsen, Mel Brooks, Peter McNichol, Stephen Weber, Lizette Anthony, Amy Yazbek and Harvey Corman. There is also an almost starring for this film. In the role of Dracula, apparently Kelsey Grammer was actually being considered for it. Um personally, personally, I would have put you know Kelsey Grammer in a different role than than Dracula, but I could see him in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, he's got that sort of um, American poshness, I suppose, um, that would that would sort of fit with the, um, the the rather sort of extravagant English accents that are in this film. Um, he would definitely have been able to pull that off, I think. But I mean, yeah, I can't see him as Dracula. I don't think the uh, the the sort of styling of of the Dracula character in this film it wouldn't have suited it, it, Kelsey Grammer's style of comedy. Mm. Now, also, according to Stephen Weber, um, Kelsey Grammer was also offered the role of Jonathan Harker. And that I could see a little bit more than playing Dracula in this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, Stephen Weber's Jonathan Harker is a lot more Fraser-esque than uh, any other character in this film. So I could definitely see that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more Niles than Frasier, but you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll go with that here. The movie is written by Mel Brooks, Ruby DeLuca, and Steve Haberman, and it is the last ever film that Mel Brooks directed. Mm. The film had a budget of $30 million and grossed only $10.7 million. When it was released on the December 22nd, 1995 weekend, according to the numbers.com, it debuted at number 10 with only $2.7 million. The highest grossing film that week was the release of Waiting to Exhale with $14 million. Also debuting that weekend. There was, there was a lot of films debuting on this weekend. <laughs> you had Grumpier Old Men, which debuted at number four. Sudden Death, which debuted at number eight, and Tom and Huck, which debuted at number nine. Now, it should be noted, before we get to the critic score on this one, that of every single Mel Brooks movie where he was either a writer, producer, or actor, this film has the lowest tomatometer of any of them. <laughs> Over at Rotten Tomatoes, this film has an audience score of 49% and a tomatometer, and I said it was criminally low, at 11%. 
Like, yeah. it feels criminal. Like, literally criminal. Anything with Leslie Nielsen and Mel Brooks involved <laughs> to rate it that low. Exactly. And I think you just look at the audience score, you know, nearly 50%. It's it, you know it it just speaks volumes I think to this film and how uh, how sort of lovable it is. Now, admittedly, if you're going to compare this to a film like Young Frankenstein or To Be or Not to Be or Spaceballs, which for the record, by the way, Spaceballs also qualifies for this podcast, which I can't even wrap my head around. Because what? Spaceballs, yeah, I know, right? The audience oh, score, it, it's, off, it's off the charts, right? Spaceballs mm. qualifies for this show. I don't get it. But then you have 11%, like, the what? Yeah. Yeah, I just, it, it, it's criminal. It's really criminal. 11% is just quite unbelievable. Yeah. To be fair. I mean, I, I get, I do. I, I understand that, you know, comedy is subjective, right? <laughs> and when I say Spaceballs does qualify, it's borderline, I have to admit. It sits at a 57% tomatometer. <laughs> so it's not like it qualifies a lot, but it still yeah. qualifies. It's under that 60%. Like, the tomato is green, the movie could be seen. So at some <laughs> point, Spaceballs will get defended on this show, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. Could I, could I possibly pick two Mel Brooks for films in a row? I I see no foul there. I see no foul whatsoever. We'll just, we'll just put that on the cork board. We'll be all good. Yeah. Yeah. But let's figure this out. Let's figure out what the critics did not like about this film and what they got wrong about it. We're going to start with Leslie Nielsen, who, of course, plays Nosferatu himself, Dracula. How was he for this? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's quite a shame to say uh, that this is certainly not one of Leslie Nielsen's strongest performances in a in a spoof film. Um, and I think that sort of comes from, because Nielsen really excels when he's playing things absolutely sort of straight, you know, naked gun, airplane. Obviously, there, there is two sort of most lauded performances, um, which he doesn't really get to do here. It's obviously a very campy interpretation of, of Dracula, um, and you know, he in other films of the 90s of this, you know, things like Wrongly Accused, um, Spy Hard, he's you know, they're very similar performances from Leslie Nielsen. But you know, as with anything from Leslie Nielsen, it just gives you this warm feeling. It's like he's like just you know, you're feeling safe, um, with him in this kind of film, and you know that you're going to have fun. And you do have fun, you know, the, there are moments, um, you know, there's the, the sort of visual comedy as well as, as well as the, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of, I can't get the word out, um, <laughs> you know, as well as the, the comedy in the script, um, which he, he does, he, he does really well. I mean, like I say, I don't think it's his, certainly not his best performance um, in, in a spoof film, um, but it fits what you really want and what what's what's quite safe um you know the prat falls down the stairs um <laughs> the, the one that always gets me is the popping the 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 hair off it's like you know that's obviously embedded in us from bram stoker's dracula this this flamboyant hairdo um that count dracula has and just sort of it, just the way it just casually 
pops it onto the uh, the hat stand. It's brilliant. Oh yeah, no. I mean, obviously there was a lot taken from Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out uh, before. I think we about three years before this or something yeah. like that. But the thing is. I think the biggest problem with Leslie Nielsen in this, and it's not Leslie Nielsen. I think I think you're right. It's the script. In mm-hmm. that you mentioned Airplane and the Naked Gun movies, and those mm-hmm. are Zucker Abram Zucker productions, right? And yeah. they knew how to write for Leslie Nielsen. And, and the, it's almost like, you know, that trio of writers and Leslie Nielsen were all on the same page as far as the delivery and how those lines should play to the camera. Zucker yeah. Abram Zucker right for the camera the thing about mel brooks and if you go back and take a look at some of his earlier films you you realize that it feels more like he's writing a stage play that just happens to be being filmed there are Mm -hmm. moments that play out and i could see someone taking this script and putting it on a like a broadway stage and you know it felt really really good but nielsen as good as he is feels more comfortable in a Zucker Abrams Zucker script as opposed to a Mel Brooks script. Yeah, I think you, you're right there. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, a lot of the, the Dracula character gets a lot of the easy comedy in this film. It doesn't get a lot to sort of, there's no, there's not a lot of nuance to, to the comedy that's coming out of the Dracula character. Yeah. And the other thing too is, again, maybe it's, we're so used to this with the Zucker Abrams Zucker films is that, they're very slapstick, you know, they're, they're very chock-a-block full of, of little comedic one-liners and pratfalls throughout the entire film. Like, you don't stop laughing during those movies. Like, it's rapid yeah. fire almost. With this one, and I don't know if you felt this at all, but it felt like this one at times felt like it wanted to be almost a, a more serious Dracula film than it was intended to be. Yeah, it has to still t- sort of take time to tell the story rather than just have gag after gag. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, even, you know, we recently covered Superhero Movie on this, which was another David Zucker production. And that one, again, has the rapid-fire comedic beats to it. You know, even the <laughs> scary movie ones, even the ones that Leslie Nielsen were involved in, right? Yeah. Again, like, just chock-a-block, like, keep hitting them with pratfalls and one-liners and and whatnot and throwaway lines this yeah this one felt like it took a little bit of time to build the scene and it wasn't always like let's just constantly throw things at the at the audience yeah yeah for sure yeah 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 hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Steven Weber, who played Jonathan Harker, uh, plays this very straight. Now, there are always actors in this in the movie where you need them to play it straight, so you know, and let the comedy happen around them. Um, did he work for this? Uh, you know, for you? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he gets, you know, although he's not got a great deal to do um, for the most part in the film, he's uh, yeah, he gets some some quite funny moments. You know the um she's italian line was uh was a personal highlight for me um and obviously the 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 stake through the heart which is just um you know it just a fantastic uh comedy moment um but yeah he's you know and he's got he's you know i will say he's got quite a convincing british accent as well mm. i i will say like kudos to him because apparently he didn't know he was going to get covered in that much blood yes like, like yeah. they, they said like you're, you're going to get splashed you know not <laughs> doused but splashed right uh yeah. so apparently when he says the line she's dead enough no he, he he was like no no no, we're good we're good i don't need to get hit again with all of this like so but yeah. kudos to him for kind of holding it together because like if you're not expecting that much blood to hit you in the face like he he held it together like really really good and that's the thing like you know the best parts of some of these comedies are the people who the characters in the story that this is very serious while everything happens around them and i think you needed a steven weber performance as mm -hmm. jonathan harker for this to work yes absolutely because there isn't you know there isn't a lot of there's not a lot of straight characters in this film, certainly not compared to to some of the the best spoof films, um, for sure. He's, you know, he's he's he probably well maybe Amy Asbeck as well, um, but you know, there's not a lot of straight sort of straight characters in this film. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at a movie like Spaceballs, and I would almost equate. Um Harker's performance, or sorry, Weber's performance as Harker to Daphne Zuniga as as the mm. damsel in distress in that she's playing it straight while everyone gets to have like the better comedy lines around her, but you need that grounding because that's part of the main story. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mel Brooks as Abraham Van Helsing. You can't have a Mel Brooks movie without Mel Brooks in it. Mm. So, in uh, without saying, you know, whether, you know, what the, whether this worked for you or not, in the pantheon of Mel Brooks appearances in his own films, how does this one stand up against the rest? Um, I think it's 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 probably uh, to the lower end, I think. And I think the main problem is is there's a bit too much Mel Brooks in this film. Um, you know, you look at Spaceballs, you look at something like Blazing Saddles, um, you know, he's, they're only sort of bit parts where he sort of plops in here and there, but he's, you know, he, he, he's in a good chunk of this film. Um, and I think he maybe struggles to sort of command that much screen time 
I think, especially in this. Yeah. I mean, like, with Spaceballs, it works. Even though he's got the dual roles, both as, you know, President's Group and as Yogurt, which, brilliant, just brilliant. But... (laughs) But it's not the main story. And here, he is a major part of the story. And it's one of those things where it's like, maybe he was too close, you know, to the script and too close to the actual production. Because there were moments when I'm watching this, and then there's there's one specifically where, and I, I think it was Harker and, and Van Helsing are like walking in the, in the garden. And mm-hmm. the shot starts to dissolve to it. They're standing there, and then the dissolve finishes, and then they start walking. It's like, where is the editing in this? Like, take take about a second or two off that shot because we come in, and it feels like the director says, okay, and go, right? And and they left it in. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's maybe, um, you know, the the amount of screen time he gets is maybe a budgetary thing just to sort of keep the cost down a little bit. I don't, you know, I don't really know. Um, I mean, this film certainly, you know, um, I mean, it's not a it's not a, a low budget um, for this film at all, but it certainly doesn't look. You know, you'd look back to to Robin Hood Men in Tights um, and the production value on that film compared to this one. Um, it certainly it looks like they weren't giving Mel Brooks as much money as uh, as previous. And and that's the thing too. Like with thirty million dollars, you know, there, there's also a lot of set work in this as well like you know with the you know with, with the ballroom dancing scene and with the with the castle and the grave like there's a lot of set work that, that went yeah. into this and the sets i think work well for the movie that it is but you know it's 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 missing something and I, i'm not quite sure exactly what it is but then you look if you look at the the, the sets in transylvania and this and, and even you know um uh, dracula's castle they don't they just don't look you know they look like sets they look like yeah um, knocked up sets basically it almost feels like i mean obviously you're going to have sets you know with a movie like space balls because you, know, mm-hmm. you can't go to outer space but like even like the the, the fake tatooine scene and whatnot that, that at least you know felt and was kind of real even though when they got to yogurt's cave clearly a set it's almost <laughs> like they needed to take a page out of like the money python playbook and actually go somewhere and shoot it as opposed to try and yeah. do it all on the soundstage yeah absolutely yeah it, it, it probably would have added added that production value that is sort of sorely missing yeah we've talked about her before on the show when we did the episode on crawl lizette anthony who plays lucy in this how was she for you i think she's very suitable for the role um you know she's obviously a, a very sort of books and beauty that sort of uh, fits the lucy western character you know anybody who's got a an ounce of sort of knowledge about um Dracula's the history of Dracula and the character of Lucy um she's you know she fits that um sort of naivety um she doesn't get a great deal to do in terms of comedy but you know it's it's certainly the right tone for the film and you know her you know in in enough every iteration of Dracula the the transformation of Lucy and her coming back from the dead is always a big moment and it's it's probably one of the better sort of set pieces um of the film and her sort of coming on to uh, to Jonathan Harker and uh uh him recoiling because he's british um is again a really funny moment and that's sort of helped by uh Lizette Anthony's performance 
I, I, I never thought I'd say, you know, Kroll clearly prepared someone for, for something, but it felt like her role in Kroll actually did prepare her for this because, you know, from a from a looks perspective, she fits that 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 era type of type of look. And, you know, mm-hmm. like she looked like she was having fun with this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, again, you know, she doesn't get too much to do in the way of, of, of comedy, but when it gets to that, that moment where she can really, um, you know, really shine and, uh, and ham it up, she does it brilliantly. Yeah. To, to quote her from an interview, and this is also on imdb.com. If you're looking for this quote, this is how she talked about her role. Quote, I was just meant to be there with my tits hanging out looking ridiculously glamorous. And no, I didn't find it offensive being that sort of sexy foil. Like, yes, obviously it's it's a Mel Brooks film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, say what you will about the comedy, whether it works for you or not. But Mel Brooks's films, while some of them may not have aged well, they were never, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, exploitative of someone's looks like clearly she was picked for the look because it's a Dracula film and she has that very Victorian style beauty to Mm -hmm. her, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, yeah, she fit the role perfectly. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's Dracula. So you got, you know, if you're going to parody, um, different iterations of Dracula, then this, you know, that, that sort of her role and her look is very much about the hammer Dracula films and, and you know that that's uh, actresses like that were were ten a penny in the Hammer Dracula film, so you know it's it 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 fits you know the parody and the spoofing of of the history of Dracula in cinema. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then of course, moving on to the other main female actress in this, Amy Yazbek, who played Mina Harker. Uh, again, another one whose look perfectly fits the mm-hmm. era that they're aiming for this one. Yeah, absolutely. And again, another decent British accent. I think, you know, obviously she'd hone that on uh, on Men in Tights as well. Um, but, you know, she doesn't she doesn't get a great deal to do in this film, um, really. You know, there's a few sort of um, uh, physical gags with the, the stand, new stand-up, you sit down and and getting that right, which obviously works really well and is, is really funny. Um, but, she, you know, she doesn't get a, a whole heap to do. Um, and is a little bit forgettable, I think, in this role. I mean, yes, she's given more to work with, with you know, than than Lizette Anthony because, well, Lizette Anthony doesn't make it to the end of the film. <laughs> By the way, spoilers, but, you know, I hate to say it, this film is, you know, a year shy of 30 years old. So, yeah. you know, not, not to make you all, you know, feel old, but I'm going to make you all feel old here. I, I thought she was great. In Men in Tights. I absolutely loved her in Men in Tights. And of course, she was also in The Mask as well. You know, like a really good comedic actress. So obviously, Mel Brooks, who has worked with her before, uh, you know, you know, go with go work with your friends, right? It's all it's mm-hmm. always a good uh, a good practice to to get around that. I'm uh, given the amount that Mina had in this movie, and given the amount that Lucy had. Would you swap the actresses and put Lizette Anthony in the Mina Harker role and Amy Asbeck in the Lucy role, or would you have kept it that way? No, I definitely have kept it that way. I think um, I can't see. I can't see. Yeah, I, I can't see Amy Asbeck doing the uh, doing that whole that whole scene with uh, Lucy coming back from the dead. I just can't picture it. Um, I think, 
Um, there's Anthony's got much more of that look that, you know, like I say, that hammer look um, that really suits that role. And I don't think Amy Asbeck could have pulled that off. I will say too that you know Amy Asbeck in the the dance scene, uh, it worked so well, and and she's a very good physical comedian as well. And yes, I recognize that you know there's stunt doubles and whatnot and dance doubles. I get it, but for the scenes where you can clearly tell that it's Amy Asbeck, she does that very yeah. very well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think like they had the actresses perfect for the roles they were in, um, and both work well in this. But why, why are you mentioning that dancing? Don't you find? Don't you think that it's funnier the fact that you can actually see that the the stunt doubles, those oh, dance doubles? Oh, absolutely! It makes it funnier. Like, and it's not like you know we we didn't have a, a dance double for Leslie Nielsen before in one of the Naked Gun films. Like, yeah. it it it's perfect in its comedy as well. You know, like like it's funnier that you know yeah. that they're just professional dancers with like a wig or whatnot. I mean, hell, yeah. they, they even made fun of the idea of the stunt double in Spaceballs, of course, when they're, they dive through the door and all that, and they get up, it's like, that, that's their stunt doubles, you know? And you got like some guy with a beard with the long Daphne Zaniga wig, and like, it's funny. Like, we, we get it. We, we completely understand, you know, it's a tip of the hat to the audience. Like, we're not trying to pull one over on you we're going to make it a bit as obvious as possible but here we are yeah <laughs> harvey corman yeah. as dr seward i mentioned earlier that i could easily see kelsey Grammer in this movie but maybe not in the roles that he was you know thought of i could have seen kelsey Grammer in the dr seward role no problem whatsoever yeah i could see that now that you say it yeah yeah it's it's definitely got that um uh, it, yeah yeah i can see it but that being said you know it would also be maybe a little bit too typecast because you know dr fraser crane dr seward like might have been too obvious and maybe kelsey mm. Grammer didn't want to go down that road but getting to harvey corbin's performance in this again went the stephen weber route and played it straight while the crazy happened around them between leslie nielsen and mel brooks yeah yeah and i think harvey corman i mean it, it, it it took me ages to figure out that this was uh, Headley Lamar from uh, from Blazing Saddles. It just did not click with me until I researched this episode, actually. Um, but yeah, he's you know it's, it's a very silly performance. I think it's it's a very, it's quite one note really. He doesn't have a great deal of gags other than a very funny one about giving people an enema to all the people in his uh, his uh, his asylum. Uh, his his uh, his method of uh, of trying to cure them is to keep giving them enemas because it will, and I quote, give them an enormous sense of achievement. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember like like the third time he mentioned, it, it like he's he's into enemas like Doctor Phil is into spanking. Like there there's something wrong with this character here, but it is you know I, I get it. You want to have kind of those running gags as well, and I think that one worked well for him. Yeah. But I think it's just it's just that little bit too over the top, I think, his his performance, his voice, you know, is maybe that's to hide whether or not, you know, he could do a British accent, I don't know. But it's 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 just that little bit too over the top for me. I'm really glad you said over the top. <laughs> and not because I want to watch a Stallone film, but bear with me here. Peter McNichol. <laughs> Ooh, I got thoughts on Peter McNichol, but I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you have first crack at him for this one. 
Well, I, I might shock you actually here because I love Peter McNichol. I absolutely love him. And I love him in this film. Um, yes, it's over the top, but I think Peter McNichol is somebody who can pull it off. He's just fantastically maniacal. Um, you know, it, it just excels in the, in these kind of roles where he's just utterly mental, basically. Um, he's got quite a convincing British accent. I'm going to keep mentioning accents um <laughs> but uh um uh, it, i think he just gets a lot of really funny moments um and he's, he's just this switch between this sort of you know stifled upper class english gentleman and this demented fool it's just a sight to behold and i absolutely love it this you know the this, <laughs> the scene where uh he gets uh um, accosted by the Brides of Dracula in bed. It just always, always makes me laugh. The line, uh, my God, what are you doing to the furniture, uh, will always tickle me. Um, and, yeah, I just I love Pete McNichol's performance in this film. See... <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to differ on this one here. And okay. just, just Just let me get this out here. You mentioned Airplane earlier in the episode. And freaking love Airplane. It's a great film. No one will ever deny Airplane is a great film and a comedy masterpiece. However, if I had to remove one person out of Airplane, it would be Steven Stucker because his performance in that felt so tonally different and out of character or, or at least out of situation with everything else that was going around. Like everyone was playing the comedy straight, but the, the lines were so good. Steven Stucker is sitting there like maniacal in the air traffic control tower, you know, like <laughs> shaking people and unplugging things. And going, ah! It's like, Oh my God, leave, <laughs> just, just leave. You know, I get it but I don't get it. And that's the one part of airplane that I didn't like here, you know, with his Renfield performance, Peter Nichol kind of reminds me of that Steven Stucker too crazy for the moment thing. And I think there's the thing, you know, in a movie like the naked gun, right? Everything is chock-a-block crazy fun. And I think, a performance like Peter McNichols in this would have worked in something like that. But because the scenes and the moments are given the time to breathe, to build up for the, for the, for the gag, mm. it's almost like it's, it's trying, it really Renfield is trying too hard. Right. And I get that that's how he's directed to do it. You know, and it's not like we haven't talked about Peter McNichol on this show before, because of course he was in baby geniuses and you know, he was actually really good in that piece of crap film but you know <laughs> here he's just so he's just he's turned to 11 and that's one more than 10 and this film is sitting at about a you know an eight or nine volume and he's turned up way louder than everybody else in this uh i i you know i, I just think i don't know maybe it's just me but i just i just think it's great i love his performance in this film <laughs> it just but I think he just does. He does. He does sort of maniacal really well. I think it just, yeah. And I think obviously the the, the character of Renfield, you know, historically is is supposed to be that this demented and he's supposed to be that sort of over the top when you know he's he's serving his master. And I think it's you know it's again it's it's a bit of a homage to the uh, portrayal in 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 the 30, you know thirty one Dracula. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, it certainly dialed up to 11, but I didn't mind it maybe as much as you did. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Maybe that's the thing, too. And you said how it's very remnant of the, the 1931 Dracula is this movie almost too reverential to the source material of the various versions of Dracula rather than just focusing on the comedy in the moment? Yes, I think that probably is its biggest failing. Yeah, yeah, it's trying uh, to keep to to one particular um, one particular style of, of, of Dracula rather than parried in um yeah i mean you even look at a film like Spaceballs or even blazing saddles you know westerns and science fiction uh, you know the Spaceballs doesn't just parody star wars blazing saddles just doesn't just parody a single western film but it's almost like this film is just parried parodying a particular dracula and there's the thing too right like it's almost more homage than it is parody you know mm, at yeah. least you know with the scary movie films and yes i'm getting back to like the zucker abram zucker kind of productions mm-hmm. you know it's the genre that they're parodying yeah. right space balls they are they're parodying the genre they're just using star wars as the as the vehicle for it you know but mm-hmm. the fact that they even got to to get a jab in at, at transformers with mega maid and whatnot like mm-hmm. there's a lot that you can work with with blazing saddles you have the entirety of western films and that entire genre to pull from even if you're going yeah. to lean on to um one thing I, again something as you know qualifying for this podcast as superhero movie yes it used the spider-man films as at least the toby Maguire ones mm-hmm. as its launch point for the story but it parodied yeah. a lot of different superhero movies and i get that mm-hmm. you know there is a lot you can do by by parodying the dracula you know mystique and the story and the various versions but this felt more like it was paying homage to it and just the little things. Like even when Leslie Nielsen goes in to, to bite Lucy, um, the fact that he covers their heads with the cape, that's specifically taken straight from, and I can't remember which version of Dracula it was, but he did that to pay homage to that version. It's almost like mm-hmm. they were trying to make fun of Dracula but at the same time trying to be very respectful of Dracula. And I don't think in a movie like this, you can really kind of jump that line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've got the most 
up until that point, the most modern version of Dracula was uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, of which there are a couple of beats to that. Obviously, the hair that I mentioned earlier, the shadow, which is, again is a very funny moment, falling down the, the stairs and he gets up and the shadows hurt his back. But other than that, you know, that's the most sort of, um, you know, the, the most sort of modern interpretation that, would have maybe made more sense to more people in 1995 than perhaps, you know, 1931 Dracula. So I think if, if they'd have pushed that a little bit more as well, because there is a lot, you know, there's a lot that you could have, um, you know, parodied from that uh, Francis Ford Coppola Dracula that, that would probably have worked. And I think there's the other thing too, is like this film came out in 1995. So the Francis Ford Coppola version of Dracula is complete and utter fair game. And it's still fresh in the mind of people who mm-hmm. have recently watched it. But if they're making reference and homage notes to like a version from 1931, the movie going audience that's going to you know pay to see this aren't necessarily the ones that are, going back and watching the 1931 Dracula before, you know, yeah. to, to prep for the, you know, going to see a Mel Brooks and Leslie Nielsen film. It's probably mm-hmm. not going to happen. I think maybe more so if rather than focus on Dracula per se, but focus more on the genre of the monster movie and kind of use some of those, you know, universal monsters as the, um, mm. you know, you know, again, very similar to Monster Squad in that how Ooh. it played upon, you know, not just Dracula, but all the other monsters from that monster movie era and, yeah. you know, pulled them into the story. Here, it almost needed more of that gothic kind of, like, covering all bases rather than just, we're doing a Dracula story and that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because then the the base in the comedy around specific set pieces, not a, anything wider than that. Yeah. So you're only sort of you're confined to to that story and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, if they had come out and done, for lack of a better term, vampire movie, you know, mm. then you could play on you know the 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 various different tropes. You could play on the Lost Boys. You could play on Dracula. You can play on, uh, you know, Once Bitten. You could play on anything that's got a freaking vampire in it. And if you were to make that movie today, you could you know, you know, spoof things like the Vampire Diaries and True Blood, you know, and and mm. lots of different vampire genre based films but you really kind of you know handcuff yourself if you're just going to stick with the dracula storyline i think that may be where it it shoehorned itself into like this you know painted itself into a corner right Mm -hmm. by by not tackling more of the genre by staying into one one little corner of it you limit you limit the amount of gags that you could have with it yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, some of the funny, I mean, one one that I've got to mention because it always tickles me every time I watch this. And it's, you know, and it's not just a parody of of something that happens in a Dracula film. It's something that happens in vampire films. It's it's reasonably specific, I suppose, to the Dracula stories. But the brides, when they come into the bedroom, into Renfield, and they're floating in, and then he scolds them for for trying to... to you know, drink the blood of Renfield and they start to float away and he's like, stop floating. And they just start to stomp out of the room in a mood. And, you know, that's just, that's just great. That's just, 
proper comedy to me. But, you know, that's that's parodying something that's outside of specifically of the Dracula story. And I think if it had had a, a little bit more of that, then... Yeah, there are some great beats in this. There are some great comedic moments in this. It's almost like there needed to be more of them and more frequent rather than, you know, use a scene for one gag. Like You almost want to toss more Mm -hmm. one-liners and and off-the-cuff kind of comments and and just cram more into it. And, And that's the thing, right? Like this is, it's still a funny film. And it's way better than eleven percent. Like, absolutely. You know, I I get if you are comparing this to Mel Brooks's biggest works, then this is going to fall, you know, fall behind a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I get like this is not as good as Spaceballs. This is not as good as say History of the World Part One, right? But it's not eleven percent. No. Not at all, not at all. And, it, you know, I mean, it's almost, it, I would say it's almost like a, a nice little family comedy as well. You know, I think it's something you could sit and watch with your kids. You know, it, it's very simple. It's not too, um, you know, it's not too violent. It's not too um, you know, sexual or anything like that. There's one or two bits maybe, but nothing that we've not seen in film you know comedy films of the 80s that are considered family films and stuff but i think it's just a nice simple comedy that will still make you smile it might not make your belly laugh but it'll make you smile oh yeah i mean if my kids watch this film i'm not going to be concerned at all it is completely and utterly you know it's it's harmless fun it is harmless fun, you know. If you if you want some some simple laughs, you know, when the kids are sitting there going, oh, "Okay, can we change the channel?" I mean, but you know, maybe not your kids. My kids would definitely not want to watch this as, at all because it, it doesn't have lots of explosions. Like my my, oh, right, my, okay. my my kids like that. But regardless of, it's still you know, if your kids want a decent laugh, this film is not going to traumatize them by, by any stretch of the imagination. No. You know, it is family friendly. It'd be more traumatizing when you have to explain what an enema is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just tell them, like, you, you, kids. Remember that time we all went to Taco Bell and you guys ate too much, and you know, the next day was not fun. Picture that through a hose. All right, it's come time. So let us figure this one out first. 11% is the critic score. If you're rating this out of 100, where are you actually putting it? Uh, I, well, I'd be very realistic about this. Um, I would say I would go along with the audience score from Rotten Tomatoes, which is, what, 48? It's about that, yeah. Yeah, I think around the 50, yeah, the 50 uh, mark, I think, is fair, is fair for this film. Yeah, a 49% audience score. And yeah, I, I think that's kind of where this sits. Like, it's not Mel Brooks's best, no. but it's not bad. You know, and, you know, it, maybe it pales in comparison, and that's what the critics are comparing it to. I understand that part, but it's definitely not at 11%. I think you're right. I think it sits about that 45 to 50%. More, he- more if you get rid of Peter McNichol. <laughs> well we'll uh, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one but i mean you know maybe maybe this maybe this came a little uh, very t- you know too quickly after men in tights because it was only two years after that so i think maybe 
no, that that maybe didn't help it either. But well, yeah. I mean, and especially too because Men in Tights was so good. But there's mm-hmm. the other thing too is that Robin Hood Men in Tights sticks to the Robin Hood story, but I mm-hmm. think it does that better than this does the Dracula story. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's like we discussed the thing that that sort of parodied for the most part. Uh, Prince of Thieves, which had come very close, you know, a couple of years before it, um, and and it, but it still, it, you know, and then it still had some uh, other parts that, that that were, you know, from the, the sort of expanded lore and and diff- other different films from that sort of genre as well. So I think that's again, you know, maybe why it it wasn't jumped on as much from the audiences at the time um, than. Uh, uh, than it was. It's interesting, too. And I remember reading this article a while back. So don't know if the numbers are still the same, but I'm pretty sure that they're still up there. Is that when you take a look at stories that have been adapted to different properties, the story of Robin Hood, I think, is the most translated piece of literature to TV and film. Like there are there right. are more Robin Hood TV shows or at least TV theme shows or um, movies out there than any other IP in existence. Really? I mean, you have years where there are multiple Robin Hood properties that have come out. Like, trust me when I say, take a look at the, at the list of films and TV shows that are based on the story of Robin Hood. It will blow your mind how many times that story is... Re- Told and retold. Wow. Okay. So, so at least with Robin Hood Men in Tights, you had different, way, way more (laughs) iterations to to poke fun of and play homage, or at least pull your comedy from. But they didn't do Rocket Robin Hood. No Rocket (laughs) Robin Hood. My my inner child cries because there was no rockets at all in Men in Tights. But Pete, it's come time for the big one here. Who is your MVP of Dracula Dead and Loving It? I'm going to get my revenge on the grading on a curve episode. And my MVP for this episode is Mr. Peter McNichol. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say I that. Feel, I feel no shame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just, I just, uh, I, I can't get enough of him in this film. See, I'm going to go the other way, and my MVP is Steven Weber. Like, I love what he did with Jonathan Harker, and I think he anchored the movie enough that the comedy could work around him mm. very, very well. And his his ability to keep it, you know, in line almost, allowed everyone else the space to have that comedy, and that worked out well. Yeah. Even Peter McNichol. Even Peter McNichol. Peter, <laughs> thanks you so much for uh, for coming on and talking about this film. Before we go, please remind our viewers where they can find the Movie Duel podcast out there on the interwebs. Okay, so you can find us on all good uh, podcast apps, channels, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, on X and Threads at Movie Duel bod and uh you can now find it on patreon as well which we have uh for a small fee you can get some bonus content from us as well which has been launched this week trust me when i say listen to the movie duel podcast you will love the show and then go support them give them that five-star rating wherever you get your podcast phenomenal show 
phenomenal team. Peter, thank you so much. Remember, you're always welcome here anytime whatsoever. And to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in Transylvania that we can find anything good to say about it, hit us up on social media at NotThatBadCast or go to our website at NotThatBadCast.com. And while you're there, check out our new Coming Soon page where you can see all the movies that we are preparing to talk about. We want to hear your thoughts on those movies and all the other shows. Like, There's tons of places for you to put your comments in. We want to shout you out in the shows, so drop us a line. Until next time, he's Peter, I'm Jay. You guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.